Putting up to it's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal. Hello and welcome to another episode of Planet Hollywood. I'm Paul Hutchin, political editor of the Daily Record. Now joining me this week for the first time is Anna Burnside, who's the chief writer at The Record. And we also have Ben Borland, editor of the Scottish Daily Express, uh, a fixture on Planet Hollywood. So I was kind of wondering what we should discuss this week because there's so much that's been happening. It's been quite difficult to sift out the subjects and pick out which uh, topics are are most important. But I think that um, the Prime Minister's speech yesterday on net zero, um, during which he backtracked on key net zero pledges is probably the story of the week um, it's caused a, a major political rami uh, on both sides of the border and it's got everyone talking so i think it's probably best to start there um you know in summary he basically said that he wants to push back the ban on purchasing new petrol cars to about 2035 and also delaying the target on eliminating gas boilers now, starting with you, Anna, do you feel like this reeks of creating an election dividing line and appeasing the Tory right wing? Very much. I think it's the Uxbridge by-election writ large. I think that was actually a surprise success for them. And I think people have uh, been sitting around drinking coffee in meetings ever since saying, well, how do we... How do we build on this? How do we scale this? Because obviously that's the kind of language you use in meetings if you're a Tory spad. And this is how they've scaled it. I think we saw it um, being hinted or teased when we saw Rishi in uh, Mrs Thatcher's Rover. He's been uh, very clear that this is a policy that she would have liked, that she would have approved Um, So I think all these things tell us that that's very much the strategy. It's ULEs on steroids, and they think that they've actually found the dividing line policy that will actually give them an edge and can pull back their uh, pretty terrible position in the polls. Yeah, Ben, it's clear that the Tories want to portray themselves as a party that will save ordinary punters money by rolling back on these things, portraying Labour as they did during that by-election as a party that will hit you in the pocket. Do you think the voters are going to warm to this or will they see it as a sort of transparent electoral ruse? Um, I think it's a gamble, to be fair. But um, as Anna rightly pointed out, the, the polls are showing Labour's lead is, is you know not going anywhere. So... Rishi Sunak needs to try something. He needs to try something different to try and pull back this lead. In the press conference after the uh, speech yesterday, one of uh, one of the reporters from down south, and apologies for making a cricket analogy, but uh, asked Mr Sunak if this was his version of Basball, which is the uh, England cricket team's all action, all guns blazing, hit every ball for six, and... Um, it, it either fails spectacularly or they, they, they win 
in spectacular fashion. I, I, I think that's a very good summary. I think this is all or nothing. Rishi Sunak's gone all in and thought, right, I'm just going to try and hit every ball for six. And it, it could, you know, it could fail horribly because voters could go, do you know what? We're actually in favour of uh, trying to beat climate change and we've got our heads around some of these policies and, and particularly younger voters aren't going to like this. Or it, it may pull off a spectacular comeback. Um, you know, at this stage, I think they're willing to try anything. Anna, it strikes me that when the narrative around this is framed around trying to save the planet, trying to take a lead on climate change, Labour are in a strong position, but when you hone in on individual policies like boilers, um, ULEs, um, the, the Tories are probably on stronger electoral ground because they very much focus on what it will cost people. Uh, I mean... It, do you, do you sense it's like a sort of last throw the dice? Does it wreak a desperation to you? Well, it does a bit. I mean, when the Conservative Prime Minister makes an announcement that is then met with the scathing response that this had from the car industry, especially Ford, you, you realise what a dicey policy it is. But I do think it will speak to some of their key voters. Yeah, there's an electric car. Well, good luck finding somewhere to plug in your car and charge it and for it to be working um, it would give me the fear. I've heard too many horror stories about that. But I, I, you can see that there are there are definitely constituencies that this is going to appeal to. I think the boiler policy in particular had a lot of people just going, really, I've got to ditch my perfectly functional and very expensive boiler for a heat pump. And if you live in Scotland with the housing stock having such a high percentage of tenements, which are very hard to heat with a heating pump, we're going, well, what, what are we meant to do? How am I meant to make a heating pump work in my building? I can see that there's a constituency there that will be receptive to this um, message. I kind of think, though, that it's, it is key... It's probably key Conservative voters. I mean, this isn't. I don't see this winning them... I don't think this is going to win them any new ground. I think this yeah. this is effective for them. It's going to shore up um, possibly the softer edges of some of their existing support, especially among older generation, among homeowners. Because frankly, there's a whole lot of younger voters who can't dream of... I mean, buying a car is ambitious and they certainly can't they're certainly not going to be owning a property where they have to worry about the kind of gas boiler they have anytime soon. You know, there's a whole swathe of the population for whom those have actually become very academic issues because they're never going to be able to afford them anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I, what I think is interesting is that if you look at the polling, the Tories have clearly lost voters that they were winning back in 2019. And I think that it's probably geared towards trying to claw some of them back. Um, ben, do you think will Labour be worried about this in terms of their response and, and maybe being um, open to attack on trying to take money off people during a cost of living crisis? I'm, I'm sure they will be worried. I mean, this is this is a major new uh, blitz. It's a whole new, you know, Labour, Keir Starmer and the, you know his party strategists thought they'd got their heads around everything they thought they got everything squared off and now all of a sudden 
that they've got to deal with this whole new front, which is that they're trying, like you say, they're trying to cost people money during a cost of living crisis. I think it's going to take them a while to, to, to come up with a response. I think particularly the cars, I think Rishi Sunak made a very, very convincing argument when he pointed out that the likes of France and Germany have a 2035 deadline for the ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel cars. So, you know, we're not some kind of international outlier as, as the SNP in particular are trying to say. We're just, we were actually ahead of the game and this is us slipping back alongside the other major European economies. Makes perfect sense. Many of the cars that we buy are made in Germany and France. So, you know, to, to be aligned on this this 2035 date makes perfect sense. I think, yeah. I, I think what's interesting that. about it as well, Ben, that um, clearly the divisions within the Tory party on it, you saw Boris Johnson intervene and he was very critical given he effectively led the country's response at COP26. So I think the next round of polling will be interesting to see if it's uh, had any impact, if it narrows the, the gap between the Tories and Labour. Um, let's move on to something completely different, uh, gender reform recognition laws. As we know, uh, Hollywood passed a law in this area um, last year, and then the Tory government effectively vetoed it by using their powers under the, the devolution legislation. It's ended up in court. Um, the Scottish government challenged that, and uh, a judge heard the case at the court of session this week. Anna, it's now back in the, the spotlight. Who does this benefit politically? I mean, who, who will be happy that this is being discussed again and it's been played out in the papers? It's hard to find any winners in this. I mean, I think who is a loser from this actually is the SNP because I think it has brought back into the spotlight a policy which has been extremely fraught and difficult for them. And if Hamza Yousaf had any political noose, he would have been reversing away from as fast as possible. <laughs> what... What he now can't do because of the court intervention here is do that because it's not just become the issue itself, it's become a point of principle about Westminster interfering with Scottish business. And that has given it a status and a prominence that he can't ignore. So he is now landed with this policy, which he may, if on a strategic basis have wanted to not be landed with and everybody's back talking about it again. So I don't think it's I don't think it's good news for them. I, I, I'm struggling to see any winners. Maybe Ben has got a different take. Maybe he can find a winner in this. Um it's the same same winner, certainly from 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 where I'm sitting, that that the same guy that's been the winner from the start, Alistair Jack. Um, I think has, has has dealt with this very well. I think um, he's, while the SNP are very keen to paint this as some kind of democratic outrage, I think he's you know he's made reasonable points, um, and and I think he's dealt with it firmly but fairly all along. And and 
it, it really, as again, as Anna says, it really just sort of, it's a repeat of, in, in a matter of days, we've had a repeat of the whole month, six week long saga that we had at the start of the year, which just makes it look as though the SNP and the Greens are pushing ahead with a policy that, that's not really that popular, that the laws on... Um, the, the, the existing UK laws are hardly, um, you know, they're quite progressive. The, 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 I, I don't think many people thought there was any need to, to change these laws and, and, and you know, introduce the, um, that you can legally change gender without a, uh, a medical diagnosis and uh, lowering the age to 16. People just aren't in support of this. This is not a priority for the vast majority of voters. It's a, it, it, the, the SNP and, and people on the left continually claim that the Tories are trying to start culture wars, but they do exactly the same. This is a culture war started from the left uh, as to, to change something that was not really needing changed in the first place. And is it a cultural war? I mean, you know, it, it was trans people who said that the existing process is dehumanising, demeaning, and they wanted a simpler process. Now, you can argue what that simpler process should be, if it should be self-ID or reducing the time periods, but when people from a minority com community come forward and say that the status quo is unjust and unfair, surely a government has to listen to that. That's not, that's not a cultural war, that's just it's being compassionate. Well, but the, the the laws are reserved to Westminster. That's that that's where this has run up against the problem. So, really, the the campaign should have gone to Westminster. This is the Scottish government legislating in an area where it doesn't have power. It doesn't have power to change the UK's equality laws. Well, we don't do that. I mean, that's, 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 that's what this uh, court. Well, is. let's let's wait and see. That yeah, the court of session may say it does. I think either way, it'll end up at the UK UK Supreme Court. Whoever wins um, this this round, and you know, it'll just um, go on to another stage. But but clearly, the the legislation isn't going ahead uh, anytime soon. Anna, just something Ben said there. See if the Scottish government was to lose at the court recession, do you think they would take it all the way to the Supreme Court, or do you think that they would? cut their losses and, and just move on? Well, again, I, I think to save face, they would have to. You know, this policy is a touchstone for a lot of their youngest and most vocal supporters and for the Green Party, which obviously is their coalition partner under the Butte House Agreement. So I don't think they could be seen to be going, OK, it's a fair cop, you know, um, we'll, we'll take no for an answer. I think politically and strategically they would very much like to, um, but I, I don't think that that's going to be an option for them. I, I actually wanted to ask Ben something about Alistair Jack. Um, one of the KCs said earlier in the week, uh, uh, questioned what, I, sorry, I can't remember which one it was, um, if Alistair, why didn't Alistair Jack intervene earlier? If he thought this was such a terrible idea, and and I wondered if you had, if you think he's handled it so well, could he? Could, would that have been an option for him? Should he have done that? Um, yeah, I think that was the 
the the um was it, Dor was it actually Dorothy Bain who who said that? Um, I think it maybe was. I, I know there's there's a, there's a difference of opinion over this one. Um, Dorothy Bain and the Scottish government ha have said Alistair Jack had multiple chances to intervene. I think Alice, Alistair Jack and um, the the KC acting for the UK government have hit back and said that they did put forward this view and it just wasn't heard by Holyrood ministers. Okay. It, it's very much become a sort of tit for tat. I, I, my personal view is, could, did he maybe not put forward the, the, the strength, the, the objections quite as strenuously, thinking that I, I'll wait until this is passed and then I'll spring a Section 35 on them? I, I wouldn't like to speculate. Mm. But, um, so basically, clearly... the the KC, sorry to interrupt you. The KCs oh. were just rehearsing some of the political point scoring. I, I think in, so. In I think cases. they, were, they okay. were going back over some of the debate. Right. I, I think as well. Clearly, whoever, whether Alistair Jack didn't raise it early enough, or the Scottish government weren't listening. Clearly, it does seem as though this could have been avoided at the consultation stage if it was made explicitly clear that. This is going to break UK equality law and can't go ahead as it stands. And we, we might have avoided this whole very expensive taxpayer-funded row in the court of session where both sides are being paid by the public purse to, to go over this again. Yeah, yeah. K yeah. KCs don't um, give oh, their services no. away, do they? Oh, yeah. Look, it's a, this whole saga has been brilliant for lawyers. Um, ben, I'm just trying to work out in my own mind, how does this mess get resolved? And it's clear that there isn't going to be some sort of compromise between the SNP and Tory governments. They're not going to sit around the table. Do you think maybe if there was a Labour government at that point, um, Labour and the SNP might get around the table and hammer out a compromise? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I think we all remember how... The SNP and Labour used to get on, and in, in actual fact, they used, they used to be worse than the SNP and the Tories. I, 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 true, true. I, I, <laughs> I don't think that I, I just can't see a Scottish government run by Humza Yusuf getting on any better with a UK government run by Keir Starmer. That in a way, they need to make the the a Labour government seem extreme. They need to paint them as anti-Scottish and out of touch because the, 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 they will be so much more closely aligned politically. Voters won't be able to pick much between them. So so the SNP need to create that division. I, I mean, what, one way it could end is that um, the, the Butte House agreement with the Greens collapses, the SNP get a new leader, Kate Forbes, for instance, and she drops it, mm. and we have a snap Holyrood election. Who, who well, knows? Yeah. I mean, the well, trans maybe's there. Um... There's a lot of maybe's there, but the, the trans debate has already ended Nicola Sturgeon's career. Who, who, who knows? It could it could still end the SNP's running power. I'm not sure it ended her career. I, I think the fact that she ran out of road on independence and the referendum, I think that was a bigger issue than uh, the GRR, but uh, 
I guess we'll have to find out uh, and wait for her book to tell us uh, uh, what, what her stated reason is for, for resigning. Serialised in the record. Well, look, if she if she wants to do that, I'm sure we would um, be interested and have a conversation. Um, not sure that she would see the Express as a natural... We're betting for Alistair Jack's memoirs. Yes, you, you could stick with Alistair Jack, that's fine. Um, let's move on. Minimum pricing. Um, there's a consultation now out, and the Scottish Government clearly wants to increase MUP from 50p to 65p. We splashed it this morning. Uh, it's going to increase the price on a six-pack of tenants. Um, obviously, that's of interest to our readers. Anna, are you a fan of minimum unit pricing? Do you think that this increase is justified? Yeah, I think it's a good policy. I think the evidence shows that it's worked, and I think the but I think the 50p figure is out of date. So that was set when the policy came in in 2018, and obviously inflation has gone nuts since then. I think 65p. That's that's what campaigners are saying is now the um, figure it should be. So yeah, I think it's a really I think it's a really good idea. I think we have to do something to tackle our national drink problem. And I think we have to be mindful of finding solutions that can't then be tweaked or subverted by the extremely powerful lobby voice of the booze industry. I mean, they're one of our big industries and they are extremely vocal and extremely smart. And we need to make sure that we're treating it as a health issue um, and this is probably the the biggest single clear intervention that you can do to um, have an effect. And I think the fact that since it was introduced in Scotland, it has also been taken up in Wales, Ireland and some states in Australia um, shows that it, that it works and that the world's watching. Ben, do you think it's going to trigger a voter backlash or do you think... You know, the average Scot will think, you know, we've got a bad relationship with booze, it needs to be transformed. This is a measured policy. I don't know if it'll trigger a, a voter backlash as much as some of the other policies that, that are coming in. I mean, since since 2018, inflation's obviously been, been a major factor. So to go from 50p a unit to 65p a unit, I don't think the cost of it is is really the problem here. I think it's the questions over whether it is actually effective. Mm. Um, I, I, I think the, pop, the, the, the evidence is, is mixed at, at best. Obviously, we've seen alcohol-related drug deaths rise each year since um, the, the MUP first came in. And uh, uh, most, you know, there's been reports that say it's been a success that that the only one that says it's been an unqualified success was the infamous public health Scotland report, which is obviously uh, part of the Scottish government and the UK statistics authority has since had to uh, rebuke the Scottish government for, for making some claims on the back of this report. Some of the other reports from I think the university of Sheffield have said, look, it's at best, it's too early to say. And, it is, is this really targeting the hardcore 
problem drinkers that, that we need to target in, in order to, to drive down hospitalizations and deaths. The campaigner I spoke to, um, who was an independent um, alcohol camp and alcohol charity, told me that they reckon obviously the figures have been complicated by the pandemic and people's drinking habits changing during the pandemic. So it's hard to get a clear run at looking how MUP had been effective. But he said even factoring in um, people drinking heavily during the pandemic, he reckons it saved 150 lives since it started and that sales have overall dropped by 3%. And that's the people, the, the, the people who are problem drinkers, um, that drink the most so a drop of three percent is probably coming from that demographic it's it's not you know people that drink in a groney in a cocktail bar um it's it's people who consistently buy large amounts of cheap alcohol um so i mean i found that i found that quite a convincing um i find that quite a convincing argument i thought 150 lives is actually a no you know that's that's worth doing Oh, absolutely. Sorry, Paul. Well, yeah, I was going to come back to you, Ben. I mean, regardless of what you think about the policy, and, you know, I'm not uh, uh, an expert on addiction and alcohol, but if you look at it from a political point of view, do you think that the danger maybe for the SNP is that they're minded to increase income tax? It looks like council tax is going to go up. Those prices could go up. And so... You know, in a cost of living crisis, you can see where the political attack lines will, will come from. Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's another tax. It's another expense that, that we don't need. Um, I think that... The, obviously, it's, it's obviously we've, had tax rises, we've had tax rises from both governments. Um, well, it, 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 I think the thing is, though, it's not a new issue that the SNP have had to face. You know, that they've they've comfortably seen off um, having a, a tax over Scotland being the, the, the most highly taxed part of the UK. That they've they've survived minimum unit pricing's introduction, which was the the big, um, you know, the, the the big change to people's lives. They've, They've, they've survived these in the past. The question for the SNP is, do they have the leadership in place to to carry on surviving being painted as the, the party that wants to take people's money off them? Because under Nicola Sturgeon and John Swinney and, and Kate Forbes as finance secretary, arguably, uh, I would argue that they had a much more talented front, front bench team than they do now. And can Humza Yusuf and Shona Robeson still keep that winning record up of, of introducing policies that might be unpopular while remaining the most popular party? That's that's a tricky one. I mean, I, I guess it's a bit, you know, we, we ask Labour, what are they going to do um, if they get in power in, in the UK on the green cars and home boilers, the questions that we need to start asking, given that it's most likely going to be Anna Sawa, who's challenging to be the First Minister next time. What are Scottish Labour going to do? What's their position on MUP? Where do they stand? This increasingly becomes a debate between the Conservatives and the SNP 
and, and Labour kind of stay out of it. Um, well, I, I, that's, I, that's a fair point. I think Labour should be providing answers on a lot of these things. Um, let's uh, wrap it up. Anna, good week, bad week. Who are you picking and why? Well, for good week, I have brought a visual prop. So my nomination for good week is uh, Christina McKelvey, who's the culture who has culture and media in her wide brief. And she has been pushing heavily for the setting up of an equal media and culture centre for Scotland. So I was at their launch event last night and I brought the report because I thought you would probably both want to borrow it. Um, and she's been working on this since 2018. And it's a research monitoring and advocacy group within Engender, which is the kind of feminist quangle and um, to make sure we're hearing diverse voices across the culture, media and sports section. So she gets my vote. And uh, bad week. Well, John Swinney doesn't come out of the tram report brilliantly. Um, he was criticised for, I think the phrase was very reporty phrase, abdication of response, um, that he shouldn't have scaled back um, and, and should have basically kept a better eye on what was going on. Um, so that's obviously, nobody wants to be hearing that. Nobody wants to have that in the big report that everybody's looking at. However, I will add a caveat to his bad week, which is that he's already announced he's standing down so it's not as if it's going to have a long-term consequence of coming back to bite him on the bum, but it's still, it's not a terribly nice thing to have happen to you. And you were at university with him, weren't you? I was. I certainly was. So that just proves how impartial I am that I still um, nominate him. boot into your old university, pal. I would That's say brutal. that I, if that was a brutal boot, that I think that was actually very, very gentle. But a gentle boot, okay. It was very gentle, light touch. Ben, ben how about you? Good week, bad week? Uh, good week. Um, I think on balance, Rishi Sunak. I, I, I think um, you always think it's Rishi Sunak. <laughs> yeah, it's the same people every week for me. Uh, I, I think this is, you know, opened up a, a, a new route to him staying in Downing Street. Whether it works or not remains to be seen. But before yesterday, it looked like the route, you know, the, the path was blocked. This has opened up a potential way back in if you can win over enough um, uh, people in, in the red wall as, as we talk about down south I, I think as well it was quite nice to see all the new memes that he's created on social media when he was talking about the seven bins and the ban on meat and all these things that he's banned that were never going to happen in the first place so that was, was quite entertaining who's your, um, your bad week is it <laughs> but bad week. Do you know what? I wish I'd picked John Swinney. I've forgotten about the Edinburgh Trams inquiry, but just out of habit, I picked Hamza Yusuf because <laughs> you shock me. You shock me. <laughs> he's, uh, he's he's flown to New York, where we, we had a, a story saying that um, I don't think there's been a single mention of him in the U.S. newspapers. Um, he's at New York Climate Week. He's been overshadowed by Prince William's visit to New York, which is hardly surprising. But um, 
you know, he, he, he's managed to remove himself from the equation when there's this huge climate story back home. And, and he's 3,000 miles away talking to an empty room um, with a few panellists, with, with 50 people watching on a, uh, a, a live stream. Um, well, well, the, the Daily oh, Express, um, Hamza Yusuf administration, loving continues. Um, <laughs> the, a blossoming friendship. So I think we've run out of time. Um, thanks to Ben and to Anna for their insights and analysis. Hope you've enjoyed the episode and I hope you tune in next week as well. It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal.